0: the day I get saved, I remember one of the verses the pastor preached on, and I was only a kid. And one of the things he said was, the Bible says, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. It's in Luke 9, 23. Why of all the scripture verses did he use that? He said, I want you to know something. From the day you're saved, it's not about you. I deny self. And it's about the Lord and about your relationship with him. It's about building that relationship. It's about living a lifestyle that honors the name that we carry. We're called Christians. We carry the name of Christ. And the lifestyle that we live, we need to walk worthy of that name. In a manner that if Jesus Christ came before the service is over, this would be an empty room because we would all go to be with him in a manner that would change how we live so that you wouldn't hear scandals on TV. Recently, when my wife and I were in Colorado Springs, we were heading back to Denver to the airport. We went uh, back way. I've gotten to know Colorado Springs fairly well. We went out of Colorado Springs a lot. And we went by this huge complex. They've got this huge building. that's the World Prayer Center. And another huge building that's a a sanctuary. And then, Joe, you would love it. There's a great big building off the side. that's the youth complex, not the youth building. It's the youth complex. It's called New Life Way is the street because it's an entire complex. It makes some shopping centers look small. It was New Life Church. Some of you remember the name Ted Haggart. Was pastor of that church. And, of course, morally failed. And I started looking at some of these things and thinking of the damage some of these things have done to the reputation of Christians. And when I started thinking of some of those things, I began to realize, you know, really, we need to keep in focus the coming of the Lord for his church because we have to live ready. If we lived ready, we wouldn't hear about these scandals. We would know that God expects a level of righteousness and holiness from us that the world doesn't even expect at times. And truthfully, my opinion has been over the years, sometimes the world expects more of us than we expect of ourselves because they're watching. So when I thought of this passage this morning, I thought, why why this passage? And I began to realize what it does, it just kind of brings into focus, especially that last verse that I read. We don't know when the Lord's coming. So what do we need to be aware of? I think number one, we need to be aware that we're not aware of when it's going to happen. And what it does for the church, often when we become aware that any moment the rapture of the church could take place and we could go be with the Lord, what it does, it focuses our efforts. We begin to realize what's important. Over the Close to 40 years that I pastored churches, I began to realize, and I should, should back up and say it this way. I've been with a lot of people shortly before or at the point of their death. Uh, even very, very unfortunately, I've had to help the funeral director carry out some of my parishioners who died and uh, overnight were found in the morning and he had no one to help. And it's not a pleasant thing, but to be there at their death, every one of those individuals were trying to think what is the most important thing to me before I draw my last breath. Usually it's family. And I've heard dad say, I've talked to you about the Lord all your life. Now I'm not gonna be able to talk to you anymore, but I hope you remember what I've told you. I remember a mom saying, pastor, keep working with my kids because I won't be happy in heaven until I know all my kids on earth are ready. So they'll come to be with me. I remember sitting at that mom's funeral dinner across the table from her son. And he said, all those years, mom tried to get me to church. And he said, I want you to know what you said today at the funeral. He said, I'm going to start the church. But the last words were all about, I want people to be ready. I've also been in a situation as a pastor where I've had funerals for teenagers who thought they had many, many, many years but decided they were invincible so 100 miles per hour was okay in that car on a backcountry road. Do you know trees don't give much but metal does? And you see those tragedies. When I entered the ministry, the first five funerals I had, the oldest person I buried was 28 a young lady who died in childbirth at 28 years of age. We don't know what life is going to hand us. And keeping that in focus, we begin to realize the urgency to reach the lost. We intensify our efforts as a church. We evaluate the effectiveness of our ministries. If what we're doing is not working, do something to work. I like tradition. My wife likes tradition. The older you get, the more you like it. Personal opinion If you don't have a regular routine, you forget what you were doing. My wife, on occasion, has moved furniture in our bedroom. That's okay with the lights on, but sometimes I'm watching sports, and she's in bed, and I slip in in the dark. You don't slip in the dark quietly when your wife moves furniture. I kicked the cedar chest that she happened to put at the foot of the bed, and it's never been at the foot of the bed before. Now my big toe is coming out my heel, it feels like and I'm hopping around on one foot trying not to scream at the same time trying not to cry at the same time trying to ho- just hoping I'd live through it all. But we like the tradition. We like things not to change, but sometimes we've got to keep in focus. Jesus could come any time. We've got to be effective, not just do what we've always done, do what works to reach the lost, to bring them to Jesus Christ. Knowing he's coming soon helps to bring that into focus. It helps us to set our priorities. We wanna do what's most important, not just do something. We wanna do what's vital. Now I look at the scriptures and it says, we don't know when, but the Bible gives us signs. Now, some of these are scripture verses you've heard for years, but I want you to listen to some of these and I want you to think about what you are seeing every day in the news. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says this to Timothy. You should know this, Timothy, in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. Do you get the feeling society has no self-control? They will be cruel and hate what is good. Goodness isn't popular anymore. It used to be a badge of honor. Now it's a badge of disgrace in a lot of people's minds because we got a party. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. I said in the early service, it's okay, we'll soon know what godliness is because Oprah has a special coming up and she's going to explain spirituality. And that spirituality will tell you you're all okay and God loves you all. Just do what you want to do, be happy. But that is American Christianity today. Well, thank God not everybody believes it. Thank God that's not, I hope, the majority of churches, but there's a lot of churches out there that preach that kind of gospel. You won't ever hear anything threatening because if we ever trample on any toes and upset anybody, they might leave. And it's all about numbers. Really, is it? I said to a pastor recently, I've been working with two churches in New Jersey off and on. And one pastor is of one mindset. and The other pastor is an older gentleman of a different mindset, two different cultures. The Bible doesn't just say to preach the gospel, but we're to make disciples. That's not an introduction to Jesus Christ. That's a lifestyle that is learned and taught and instructed. It's a follower. It's a committed follower. I don't care if you've got 1,000 in your church, what are you doing with them? Are they committed? If the rapture happened during church that morning, would the sanctuary be empty or would half the congregation still be left? Going to church doesn't get you to heaven. The relationship with Jesus Christ gets you to heaven. Living the lifestyle is a proof of the relationship. Paul said, follow me, but he didn't stop with that as I follow Christ. So model Paul's life. Why? Because Paul lived the life. So when we talk about the coming of the Lord and we see the times that we're living in, we have to live ready. It goes on to say there'll be wars and rumors of wars and famine and pestilence. And boy, lately, what day is it? There's not a war in the news. But this is only, Matthew 24, 8, this is only the first of the birth pains. There's more to come. Then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed, and you will be hated all over the world because you're my followers. I saw a bumper sticker the other day. A car in front of me said the only hate crime still permitted in America is bashing Christians. Do you know what would happen if we come out strongly against Muslims? Do you know what would happen if we mentioned publicly homosexuality is wrong? Do you know we hate them? No, we don't. But we're pictured as though we're hateful people. You know what? The church is some of the most loving, accepting people that I've ever met in my life. But we're painted as though we're not. Because you see, to paint us the way we really are might make Christianity attractive. And the devil's done a really good job of making people believe that Christianity is hate-filled, not love-filled. And in America, if you bash a Christian, that's okay. It's done regularly, but it does not happen to other groups. Why? Because they feel threatened by Christianity, the message that we carry, the values that we hold. It goes on to say, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many, which I said in the Greek really means the love of most, will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Here's the good news. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. Then the end will come. The ministry I'm involved in now is a lot of ministry dealing with uh, stewardship and finances and ministers' taxes and church payrolls and all those kinds of things. And it, it's been thrilling. Uh, I've uh, sat down with the tax, uh, uh, one of the members of the tax committee for the Assemblies of God and also the, one of the directors of foreign missions in Springfield and talked about things we can do to help our missionaries. But through a kind of a long story, I'll shorten it up. But through all of that now, uh, I'm doing a lot of our missionaries' taxes. And it's exciting to have that contact with the missionaries, uh, emails, of course. But to hear what God is doing, doors opening around the world in places, just unbelievable opportunities. And some of these uh, refugees you're hearing a lot about that are coming from all these other countries, Muslim countries coming into Europe, they're coming into some of these refugee centers and stuff like that. In those countries, the restriction of preaching the gospel is not there. That was in their Muslim country, so they're seeing hundreds of people saved because of what's happening in the world. So it's exciting. This gospel, of the kingdom's being preached to all the world for a witness. and Then the end will come. Well, when we see these conditions, and then when we see these, the gospel being preached and all those people being saved, what's it say? We're close. When you see these world conditions and the moral decay in our country and the lack of moral absolutes, we're close to the coming of the Lord. So we better live ready. You see, it's not all about today. It's not all about my issues. It's about ready when the Lord comes. Now, dealing with some of my issues may help get me ready, but I better live ready and the closer to the Lord I live, often some of those issues that I've created for myself don't happen anymore. One translation calls them virgins, others bridesmaids. These ladies, when they were preparing, some had extra oil. Some didn't have enough oil. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this. The closer to God you get, the more open your heart is, the more the Holy Spirit works in your life, and the more of the Holy Spirit works in your life and fills your life, the more ready you are and the closer you live. It's amazing. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction, nobody has to tell you to clean up. God's already told you. And we begin making changes in our life with the help of the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit. In the church today, there's a decline in attendance in many churches. There's a a decline in what's called volunteerism, people stepping up to help because they're so busy. Maybe the reason why five of these ladies didn't have enough oil, maybe they were just too busy to get enough. Maybe they thought they had sufficient. Maybe they thought they had more time. Very good picture of a lot of people in the church world today. Too busy. I've got it all figured out. I've got more time. You don't know that. Because of time that did not expect the bridegroom, he came. In the church world today, often a lack of commitment. I had pastors, I don't know how many of them said to me, is this a common problem? Well, what? I just wish a young couple coming to me to get married would not already be living together. Seventy-five to eighty percent, one pastor told me, of all the couples I've married in the last five years have already lived together. Now, see, everybody else is doing it. And the devil says, it's okay because everybody else is doing it. After all, you have to see if it's going to work before you get married. Really? Statistics don't tell you that. Okay, the divorce rate is 52.6%, Okay. Do you know that the divorce rate for couples who lived together before marriage is almost 80%? So I guess it didn't work, did it? I guess that was a bad idea, wasn't it? Why? Because it takes commitment to stay married. It takes love. It takes forgiving a lot. It's sometimes in some of the churches, caving in and marrying gay couples, caving in and credentialing gay ministers. It's not scriptural. It doesn't line up. Do we hate gay people? No, we love them. We just don't love their sin. We accept them into the church, but not their sin. We can't condone the lifestyle, but we can sure love the sinner. Because you know what we are? Sinners saved by grace. You'll notice that when the bridegroom comes, he calls them out. The Bible says we're going to be called out and we're going to be called up. We're called out to carry out the Great Commission. The closer you get the more uh, to the return of the Lord, and the more you see these signs happening, we better be serious about carrying out the Great Commission. There's going to be a lot of people not ready when he comes because they're so caught up with the affairs of this life and the things of today that they forget when the Lord comes, there's no tomorrow. It's ready now or you're lost. I had one man say, you know, if I miss the rapture, I'll just get saved during the tribulation period. Okay, read the book of Revelation. Is that what it pictures? Oh, millions and millions getting saved during the tribulation. No, it talks about a very small remnant, which means not many. We're going to be called up. The Bible calls it a prize. In Psalm 24, verse 3, it says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And it answers, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. When God calls us up, who will go up? Those who are clean, those who are holy. You know what? In ourselves, we can't do it, but we're not alone. The day you say yes to Jesus Christ, He comes into you and gives you power to live the Christian life, to live consistent Christianity. I want to tell you something. Temptation is temptation to a Christian or to a non-Christian. It's temptation. There's some things that may tempt you that won't tempt another person, but we're all faced with temptation. And no matter how strong you think you are, All of us at times disappoint ourselves as well as God. Does that mean it's acceptable? No, but it doesn't mean that you can't overcome it. With God's help, you can overcome anything. With God's help, you can be forgiven for anything. I pastored for 36 years, and in those 36 years of service, I'll still remember above all else. was a man who landed on uh, Omaha Beach on D-Day. He was in his 70s. His wife had come to church. His, some of his children occasionally would come. But he was in his 70s and not going to church. His wife kept saying, pray for Bob, pray for Bob, pray for Bob. One Sunday morning, I look back, and Bob was sitting beside his wife. And he cried through the whole service. Next Sunday, he come back, and he cried through the whole service. did that for two or three weeks. And I would give an altar call at the end, and I would think for sure, Bob's going to get go saved this morning, and Bob would go out the door. So Bob's wife told me, she said, you need to talk to Bob because he says, you don't know how many people I have killed in World War II. He said, I landed on Omaha Beach. I was in the middle of some of the worst fighting in World War II. He said, I saw many of my friends, most of my friends killed in one day. He said, God somehow spared my life. I survived it. But he said, God could never forgive me for all the bad things I've done. She said, he doesn't understand, Pastor. The next Sunday morning I was preaching, I came to the message, that that part of the message had dealt with forgiveness, and I said, I don't care what you have done. Every sin God can forgive. Look at Paul. Paul is one of the worst people in the face of the earth, as far as Christianity was concerned, until he found the Lord. Well, Bob left. I got a call on Monday. Pastor, you'll never guess what happened. I said, what happened? Bob went home church Sunday morning. I couldn't find him. I went back to the bedroom. He was down beside his bed, asking Jesus in his heart. She said, he asked me to ask you if you'll give an altar call again next Sunday. (laughs) She said he wants to go forward. Bob came forward with seven members of his family to ask the Lord in their heart. Because there's nothing you and I will ever do that God can't forgive so that we can live ready when Jesus Christ comes for His church. There's nothing in your life right now that's not pleasing to God that He can't help you to overcome, so you can be ready when Jesus Christ comes for His church. My goal as a pastor and as a Christian was always, if the Lord came while I'm in church today, let it be an empty building. Don't let anybody miss the rapture, miss the coming of the Lord. We had some teenagers I wasn't sure about, You know what? Some of those kids are in ministry today. Went by a church yesterday that one of the kids that grew up in our children's church went on to Bible college, is now pastor of that church. And I remember when I was a little concerned. (laughs) He was younger, a lot concerned. You see, the one who goes to be with the Lord has clean hands and a pure heart, and you can't do that on your own. But the grace of God and the mercy and forgiveness of God can get you ready so that whenever Jesus comes, you're not left behind but you're ready to go. In Philippians 3, verse 13, Paul says this, No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. I've not arrived yet. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. Actually, he says calling us. When God comes for His church, when Jesus comes to call us up, that's when we get the prize. So many people today focus just on here. If what you have only lasts for this lifetime, I got news for you, you don't have much. Early in the ministry, I had a funeral for a man who didn't like churches, didn't like preachers. But on his card at the hospital, he said, the Assemblies of God pastor visited me, so if I die, let him bury me. So I did. Whenever we were getting ready to leave the funeral home, the pastor usually precedes the, the casket. Funeral director said, oh, pastor, come back a minute. He opened the casket back up, uncovered the man, and he took out a couple cans of snuff and put it in the guy's coat pockets. He looked at me, I need you to witness this in case the family ask. I said, okay. Covers him back up, closed the casket. We go on. I said, "What was that about?" He said, "In his lifetime, he never went anywhere without snuff, so he didn't want to be buried without it." I looked at the funeral director and I said, "I knew this guy." I said, "I hope it was smoking tobacco." I said, "Because where he's gone, it's going to burn." And he looked at me like. And I said, "The funeral director's name was Jack." I said, "Jack." No matter how hard we tried and prayed and tried to talk this guy, he rejected God. And I said, "It's a horrible feeling." But I said, the thought is, I'll just take it with me so when I go to stand before God, I'll have all the things I need. What you need most is the relationship that makes you be able to enter into his presence. And hear two very important words. Well done. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I said this morning, the former assistant superintendent died a couple years ago, cancer, Paul Grable. Paul made the statement. He said, some people were crying. He said, we're so sorry. And he said, why? I'm the lucky one I get to go to be with Jesus. You've got to stay here. He said, the way the world is, I'm so glad to go. He said, I thought I'd have a little longer, but I'm not disappointed. And he said, you know, one thing's always true. You can't scare a Christian with death. You can't threaten them with death because they know To be with Jesus is better than being here. Keep in focus the fact that Jesus Christ is coming soon. Live the life. Don't let anything come between you and the Lord so that your next breath you draw, if it could be standing in front of God, you're ready. Don't miss out because somewhere along the line you got so busy or somewhere along the line you started measuring your standards by what other people do. A recent survey said 60% of those under age 35 have admitted that their friends set their values, not the Bible. That's wrong. Because you will not be judged by your friend's life. You'll be judged by your life and how you measure up. Make sure you measure up to God's standards, not the world's standards. Because then you'll hear, well done. All through history,
1: people have changed the world cities, empires, and civilizations. Discover ways to help us see the past more clearly and the future more boldly. People fought for peace, stood up for beauty, gave their all to see the value attached to every human soul, not just the privileged few. Many are heroes, most are forgotten. but all face the challenge that brought their movement to a stop. A final battle no man has ever won. No man. Except for one. One man did more, changed more, and revealed more than any who came before or after. One man loved more, gave more, and forgave more than all others combined. One man inspired more art, more healing, more learning, and left more hearts burning than any other. And he did it all without an army, without worldly influence and power, never leaving a single word on a paper, but a library of love in people's hearts. A birth celebrated by billions, a life that splits our time in the before and after, a that changed everything forever Because for the first time In the history of our sad world Spinning round One man looked deaf in the face And death back down Because this man This one man Was unstoppable The grave couldn't hold him Hate couldn't mold him The world couldn't contain him And neither can our minds Because he is the ultimate More than More than a teacher More than a prophet More than a philanthropist More than a philosopher Shaman spirit guide Tameable, uncontrollable, unexplainable, and unkillable. Just ask the people who tried. He's alive with forgiveness ongoing, grace ever flowing. Arms still holding your world and your life and everything in it. Bigger than the sin that says you can't win it. More ferocious than the fears that freeze you. Stronger than the problem that sees you. He is God, He is unstoppable. He is here in grace and truth. Say hard to do. Four words. I believe in you. Mean it. Really mean it. And you will be unstoppable too.
0: Amen. Let's bow our heads for a moment before, as we close this morning. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, let me just ask this this morning Are you living with your lamb full? Are you ready when Jesus Christ comes? You alone know that. The Bible says if our own heart condemns us not, we have confidence toward God. What that simply means in very simple terms is you know whether Jesus Christ lives in your heart, and if he does live in your heart, if you're living the life that he wants you to live. I'm not your judge. Pastor's not your judge. No one else is your judge. God will judge you. I don't say that because God is vengeful. I say it because God loves you and He wants your heart to be right with Him so that you can stand before Him and hear His words well done. So I just ask you today, where is your life? Where is your heart? Only you know that. Don't leave today without knowing that you're ready because when you see the times around us that we're seeing right now, all these events taking place, it cannot be long until Jesus Christ comes. How many of you here this morning would raise your hand and say, please pray for me as you close this morning. I want to know that Jesus lives in my heart. I'm not sure. I'm ready. Would you slip up your hand so we can pray for you? Any that do not know the Lord and you want to ask them in? Any others? Amen. How many of you are here and say, I do know the Lord, but there's things in my life I need God to help me overcome because I want to live the life that God wants me to live. Would you slip up your hand so we can pray for you too? Amen. Amen. Let's just pray together. Father, we are so grateful today for your love for us. Thank you for loving us so much that you would let us know ahead of time so that we can be ready when you come. You've given us the signs. We see them already in the world today. And, Lord, we just pray, even though some of these we've seen for years, these signs we see today are what the Bible calls some of the final things we will see before you come for your church. And, Lord, I pray this morning for every individual who raised their hands, for the three or four who raised their hand and said, I want Jesus in my life. Lord, I pray right now that you would help them to say within their own heart, Jesus, I believe in you and I accept you. Please forgive me my sins and come into my life. And, Lord, as they say that this morning, that simple prayer, come into my life and forgive me, that they will leave this place today with a confidence that if Jesus came in an hour in a moment, they would be ready, because Jesus now lives in their heart. Lord, if you delay for any reason you're coming, let them grow in you and grow in grace and be discipled by this church. For those who raise their hand today that said, there's things in my life I need to know are fixed, and I need to overcome. Lord, I pray, by the work of your Holy Spirit, give them strength, give them energy, give them power. To overcome what they cannot do in themselves, but with the help of your Holy Spirit to overcome these things, to grow beyond these things that have built a wall between them and you. Lord, we don't want to live on the fringes. We want to surrender all, as we sang this morning, and give you everything so that someday we can stand before you and hear you're well done. Lord, we don't know why the hand was raised. We don't need to know why. You know those people. You love them. You know their life. You know their heart. Their heart's desire is to make sure everything is right between their soul and their Savior. And I pray, Lord, you'd give them that assurance this morning as they commit their lives to you afresh. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the excitement and anticipation that someday soon we will see you face to face. Keep us faithful till that day comes, we pray.